that my agendas and my um, my uh, desires and my confusion about about the world, Lord, I pray that I wouldn't get in the way of of your spirit moving. Um, I pray that you would be with the people who are here today, that they would hear from you, that they would know you more, uh, that they would be uh, kind of in your presence um, and just just hear the gospel preached today, um, that they would know Christ more intimately, that they would know that Jesus uh, was God's perfect son who died for us. In Christ's name, amen. So I, uh, I met a pastor in Illinois years ago. He's actually my, my cousin's pastor, and he has this thing where if he uses you in a sermon, he gives you a dollar. Um, and, and that's a, an ongoing thing. So if he uses a story you told him or he mentions your name or whatever, he owes you a dollar, and that's his, his thing. And so I might start doing that because I'm about to use somebody else's story, and I apologize in advance, but I'm not actually sorry. I'm just using your story because it's the best thing I could come up with to fit what I'm talking about. Um, Callan told me a cool story about his time as a kid um, where they had a rooster. Um, and, and a big farmyard. Is it okay if I keep going with this, Callan? Um, and this rooster, apparently roosters aren't very pleasant. I, I would not have known. I see them on the cereal box and they seem very nice. <laughs> Although weirdly deceptive because the cereal's not that good. Um, <laughs> but, but this rooster was apparently very unpleasant. And, and when Callan and Tice would cross the yard, the rooster would chase them. Um, and I owe both of you a dollar, right? Um, <laughs> and and they would they were little. I assume this is like five years ago, and, <laughs> and they would run for all they could because that rooster was after them. And he, I guess, roosters are roosters are nasty, right? They're nasty little animals, As, not just because they wake us up in the morning, but also because they are aggressive to protect their chickens or, or I think it's chickens, right? It's a, hens. That's it. Um, hens aren't chicken. No. Nah. <laughs> I'm not a farmer. Um, and, and so every day they'd have to go out and do their chores. And this rooster was on them like, like, you know, bad, what? Like a duck on water. Thank you. That was much better than what I was going to say. And I owe you a dollar now too. Knock it off. <laughs> and, and one day they come running into the house and I guess Steve, who I think in, in some ways like this is the perfect dad response, steps out onto the porch with a shotgun and spreads the rooster across the lawn. Is that, that's it, right? I'm not messing the story up. Now, to hear Callan tell it, he and his brother walked out strutting like they had accomplished something great. And they, they were big and bad and full of themselves afterwards because that, that rooster was gone, and it was their yard now. Um, is, that, is that about it? Is a dollar good enough, or do I owe you each like a 10 spot? I mean, <laughs> um, we're going to be in Psalm 20 today, and I'm, I'm running out of gas in the Psalms, guys. I, I believe it or not, it's, it's, it takes a certain amount of energy to do sermons every week, and I'm right at the end of what I can do for Psalms. And so we're going to split this, and we're going to look at Romans as well. Um, and, and so this sermon will be a little funny, and we'll see if I can, I can pull this off right. Um, but what we're going to be talking about here is this idea that um, we face these things in life, right? Like we face our challenges, we face our difficulties. About 90% of the time, the difficulty is us, 
right? Like it is my own sin. It is my own anger. It is my own unwillingness to forgive. My, my own unwillingness to be patient or my own unwillingness to trust God or whatever. Like we, we face these things and they have a tendency to chase us around the yard. Isn't it true? How many of y'all like have a memory from, you know, 10 years ago that will not leave you alone and sometimes it just drives you nuts because you can't believe how dumb you were back then? And that, that, you know, you get up in the morning, you start doing your thing, and that reminder of like how screwed up you can be, or how, how broken life can be, or how, how the people around you can, can, can be so offensive, or so like betraying of you, or whatever, whatever it is, this, this rooster in the yard is there waiting when you get up in the morning. You know, and, and this reminder, you are broken, nobody can love you, you are sinful, God hates you, whatever it is, like, like right there. And, and in this psalm, we're going to look, and what we're going to discover is that that, that about 90% of the time, well, no, not 90% of the time, 110% of the time, the solution to the rooster in the yard is God stepping out and spreading it across the lawn for us. Right? Like, like I, am, I am a control freak. I, I want to fix everybody's problems. That's why I can't take vacation. I'm thinking, oh, I'll go on vacation Wednesday instead of Tuesday because I have some rescuing to do. I need a cape. Just a quick aside. I was mad at my daughter yesterday. She had a tantrum and I lost my temper. And I was, I was, I set her in her room. You're going to stay in here all day. And I stomped into the kitchen and my wife came in with one of the kids' capes and put it on me. And she said, anybody know what she said? Now you're super angry. <laughs> So that was, I shouldn't have done that. That was a distraction. I'm sorry. It was the funniest thing that has happened to me in ages. And my wife is awesome. Um, but, but God is there and God steps out and he's, he, he conquers our problems for us. And, and like, sometimes we want to handle it ourselves. Sometimes we want to chase after these things ourselves. Sometimes we want to control it ourselves. But at the end of the day, we have to figure out how to let God do this stuff, how to let God carry this. And so as we dive into Psalm 20, we're going to power through Psalm 20, okay? We're going to try and do the verses quick today because there's a lot of them. Um, real quick, there's some interpretive challenges with this. Psalm 20 is a psalm about, like, military campaigns, right? This is a psalm where the psalmist is not, the, the person speaking is not David. It is like a general or a leader. And he's saying, God, grant your child David victory in this battle that's coming. Now, I'm just going to point out how hard that is to interpret it into modern times because most of us aren't going and killing anybody in the course of our day and we don't actually need God to, like, wipe out the enemy's chariots, right? I mean, like, it's hard on the application front. But I I discovered something cool as I studied this. Um, This is a passage that is loaded with, like, Messiah stuff. It is loaded with foretelling of the coming of Jesus. And, And that's what makes it cool. And all of the application for this, all of how this passage works... It is a passage that is about Jesus. And I got one more bit of background. God is a covenant-making God. He makes contracts with us, right? Anybody have a cell phone contract? Anybody hate your cell phone contract? <laughs> um, my wife and I, when we moved here, we had a cell phone contract that was old. And because it was old, we had unlimited internet for like $4 a month. And we were grandfathered in, and they couldn't change it. And we wanted to keep it so badly. And they kept calling us and saying, hey, if you just get new phones, we'll update your contract. Nope. (laughs) No, no, I'm going to have a flip phone for the rest of my life, so I have Internet for free. And and then we moved here, and AT&T, 
did not work. But like, and so we had to get a new contract. And they're like, well, we're not letting you out of your contract that easy. Are you kidding now? Um, but, but God is a covenant making God. He makes contracts with his people. And we see that in Moses where he makes this contract with Moses and he says, listen, from here on out, I, well, he starts with Abraham. With Abraham, the contract is, I am your God and you are my people. You will do this circumcision thing as a sign that you are my people. And you will go where I tell you to go, and you'll do what I tell you to do, and, and this is how it's going to be. So then when Moses comes along, there's an update. They go from Abraham's contract to Moses' contract, and God gives them rules. And he's like, hey, if you're going to be in a relationship with me, these are my rules. Follow this, and I'll bless you. Don't follow it, and you're going to, you're going to deal with the consequences of your actions, right? And it was all about following the law and behaving. David comes along and God adjusts the contract. And he says to the people, he makes this agreement with David. It's called the Davidic Covenant. And he says, David, from here on out, one of your descendants will always be on the throne of, of Israel. Forever and ever and ever. Like, like your kids, their kids, their grandkids. One of your descendants always on the throne. And I will judge the people based on the king's actions. So from there on out, whatever the king's heart was is how the people got dealt with. You all with me? So if the king was good and honored God, guess what? The people had it great. If the king was wicked and didn't honor God, God judged the people according to the king's wickedness. Um, so going forward, understand this is a psalm about David. And this Davidic contract is about to play into this. It's going to be a huge part of it, and it's actually really cool. Um, and we'll, we'll kind of dive into it. So the psalmist starts out, May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. So we're going to go through these quick. So a real big quick, quick chunk here. And what he's starting out and saying is, um, God's name should protect you. The name of God's in the ancient world was considered to have a great deal of power. And so, like, to speak the name of God was like a huge spiritual thing. And so he's saying God's name, who God is, he is going to be on it, and he is going to protect you. Like, like may, I, I wish this on your life. Let this be what it is. And, and so, like, it begins with this hope that David would be blessed by God and that God would protect him and God would um, deliver him. And actually, we see that where God delivers him over and over and over and over again. Like, David's life is the story of God's deliverance. Um, so we'll go on from there. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans successful. Now, that is a big loaded word there. May he give you the desire of your heart. Um, and it, the, there's a reason that's a loaded thing is because like all of us, we would sit here and say, I want my heart's desire, right? And man, my heart can come up with some pretty cool desires, right? Like I... I I, my heart could desire a bigger house. My heart could desire a Ferrari. My desire, you know, desires would be all over the place. Um, but on my own, my heart is wicked. All of us are born with this sinful inclination. And ultimately, our heart desire, if it isn't from God's, like, grace, if it's not God's spirit inspiring in us, our heart's desire destroys us. Um, there's a great study I, I've cited a couple times. You can look it up online. Um, where people who win the lottery, 
Like it is, it is like generally one of the worst things that happens to folks. Um, the suicide rate amongst lottery winners is astronomical. Um, the number of people who end up bankrupt and deeply in debt at the end of their lottery winnings is huge. And it's because all of a sudden these people have the ability to have anything they've ever wanted. And as it turns out, getting everything you ever wanted is just a great way to destroy yourself. It's a great way to ruin your marriage. It's a great way to ruin your, your, your relationship. It's a great way to ruin your life. Like, like our hearts are broken. Our hearts are stony. Our hearts are wicked by nature. And, and apart from God's intervention, that's a problem. As it relates to David, this is a big deal. Because God referred to David as a man after his own heart. Um, David loved God. David was passionate about his love for God. David was a man who was about justice and about action and about worship and about like submission to God. Like He was a man who was all about whatever God had him to do. And so this was a good line then. Um, may he give you the desire of your heart. And we're going to come back to that. That is huge. May he make your plans a success. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now I know the Lord gives victory to his anointed. There's a word there, anointed. That's a weird word. We don't use that very often. Anybody use that in a sentence in the last week? In the last month? Maybe praying over a broken combine? No? <laughs> anointed uh, was something you would do in the ancient world um, if you were, like a prophet would come, and actually we're going to see in a little bit, there's a spot where, um, where a prophet comes to anoint David and make him king. And when they anoint him, they put oil on his head, and it means, like anoint literally means to dip or to coat, and it would refer to this covering in oil, and it was a sign that you were God's chosen one. That you were like the person God picked. And God's anointed was generally like, like untouchable. And in fact, actually, when David was running for his life from Saul, and Saul was trying to kill David, um, King David didn't kill Saul when he had an opportunity because he said, he's God's anointed, I can't touch him. It would be wicked to touch God's anointed. That's God's man. You don't touch God's man, even if he's wrong. David, being God's anointed, meant that like, that God took care of him, that God fought battles for him, that God made things turn favorably in his way. Like David was, was unique and special. Um, and we actually lose the anointed all the way up until you get to the New Testament. And then the Greek word for anointed is um, Christ. And actually, like, if you read this and understand it in context, part of what this is talking about, the Lord gives victory to his Christ. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Now, the hint here, and where we're going to go with this, this is a psalm about David, but it's really a psalm about Jesus. It is a psalm about David because that's what it was written about, but the psalmist didn't realize he was prophesying. He was foretelling the future about David because he's saying, listen, he's anointed. God does grant victory to Christ. He doesn't grant him victory with swords. He doesn't grant him victory with you know, a mighty right arm or with armies or with chariots or anything else, he grants him victory, like, on the cross. And actually, that victory he wins, that victory he, like, like manifests, like, in the resurrection, like, this victory that there is a victory over death and over sin, right? So those of us who are his followers, um, he, he stepped out on the porch and he blew that rooster away, Right? 
He took care of the thing that's chasing us around the yard every morning. And so when we wake up and our conscience wakes up and it says, hey, you know why you're a horrible person? You know, and, and when Satan whispers in our ear, you know what? You are no good. Um, we're forgiven in Christ. And Christ has conquered death um, because God has granted victory to his anointed. Um, he answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with his victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. I love that line. Some trust in horses and chariots and tanks and bombs and pistols and guns and everything. We trust in power. We trust in money. We trust in authority. We trust in Supreme Court justices sometimes. We trust in every other thing in the world. But it is really hard to trust that Christ is in control. And I'm going to say this. Like, I, I have been blessed working here because I can see things where like I can watch and God over the course of years will fix somebody's heart or set a situation right and you can look and say I had nothing to do with that I just stood nearby and said some stuff once in a while and God changed the world Um, because you don't change the world with force you don't change the world with government authority you don't change, change the world with threats or with anger or bitterness or violence. You don't change the world with any of that. You change the world with the Holy Spirit. You change the world in the name of the Lord. Um, The Messiah changed the world when he shot the rooster. This is a message translation. It's in there. Um, So we're going to jump to a couple of spots here in the Old Testament. Like this idea of God, like dealing with the heart of man is common. And it jumps up a couple of times in relation to um, kings. And I'm going to cite two here. Um, But the Lord said to Samuel, all right, so Samuel is coming to David's house. He's at the house of Jesse, and um, Jesse's got a whole mess of sons, and he comes in, and some of the sons are big and strong and manly, and some of them are tiny and minuscule, and some of them are, are, you know, they're all different sizes and shapes. And Samuel starts trying to figure out who God is sending, because God's sending him to pick a new king. And he's looking, he's like, which guy is going to be the next king? Is it going to be the big, strong guy? Is it going to be that guy? Is it going to be that guy? Is it going to be that guy? And God says to him, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the thing, look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Um, I'm sorry, that was probably talking about Saul, actually, but he says, God, you know, don't look at Saul's height, don't look at Saul's strength, don't look at Saul's this. God judges the heart, and Saul didn't have a heart for God, but David did, and so God chose David instead of Saul. Um, the point being, like, when God deals with his kings, when he deals with his people, he looks at the heart. Um, he looks at who we are. That's bad news on our own, because my heart is wicked, and your heart is wicked. Um, and if you tell yourself your heart is wicked, you just haven't figured it out yet. That's a problem. Um, only in Christ do we have new hearts. Only in Christ do we have a new way. Um, a little later in Chronicles, we see an example where um, um, King Asa is uh, in rebellion, and he makes a contract with a foreign king to fight on his behalf. And um, God sends Hananiah, Hananiah, uh, who's a prophet. At that time, Hananiah, the seer, came to Asa, the king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Aram, not on the Lord God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Um, Were not the Cushites and the Libyans 
a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen. Yet when you rolled on, relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord, now watch this, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on you will be at war. Asa was angry with the seer because of this. He was so enraged that he put him in prison. At the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. So, like, here's an example of this. So, like, David relies on God, and God blesses the people. When Asa comes along, Asa rejects God's help. And, and the prophet comes and says, what are you doing? God is, like, searching the world for people to support. God is searching the world for people to defend. God is searching the world for people to, like, take into his team. Like, he is, he is there waiting, but you rejected him. Your heart doesn't belong to his, and so he's not going to support you. And from here on out, you're going to be at war. And from here on out, there's going to be problems. By the way, in the ancient world, when a kingdom was at war, you know who suffered the most? The poor people. Like, <laughs> the people, the citizens, like, they got hosed in the deal, Right? Like, they got, they got really messed over. Like, it was not a good deal. And so the people, like, receive garbage because of it. Um, we come to the New Covenant, and the big shift that happens with the New Covenant, we're going to jump into Romans, and we'll dig into this text in a second. But the big shift that happens in the New Covenant is, so we have the Abraham's Covenant, Moses' Covenant. So it's, you are my people, I am your God. You are my people, I will judge you by how well you follow my rules. You are my people. I will judge you by how your king behaves. And then Jesus comes along. Jesus, who is a descendant of David. And David is like, like you know, the, the Davidic covenant, this king who was promised, one of your descendants will be on the throne forever. And that is Jesus. And Jesus is the king of his people, the king of God's people forever. Like, because that is the fulfillment of that. And what happens is God adjusts the covenant one more time. And he says, from here on out, I will judge my people based on... Jesus, not on who's king at this point, not on who's president at this point, not on who's leading the fold at this point, but purely 110% based on Jesus. So if you look at Psalm 20, if Psalm 20 is this big, awesome promise to Christ that he will receive victory in God's name, that he will be given assurance like of victory in God's name because of his righteousness, and, and, and Christ was victorious, Christ wiped out the rooster, for us, like he, he wiped out sin and death. He saved us from our own broken selves and our own wickedness and the punishment we deserve as a result. Like that is the truth of like what the scriptures teach. Like this is what the gospel is. This is what the church believes. Um, and so like, like we are in this new contract where if you're a follower of Christ, God looks at you and he judges you based on Jesus. But then that means that some of this transfers to us. That means that we have assurance of certain victories as a result of following Christ. Ultimately, we will all be victorious over sin. Maybe not yet. But we struggle and we walk in Christ and God changes us. Um, ultimately, even if we don't know what to say to God, he hears us. Um, I just say to pair this up with Romans 8, and it's probably Jeremy's fault, so blame him. No, I'll take credit for this one. I was, anyway... In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for, God, for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So as God's followers, 
the Spirit himself searches our heart, searches our soul, searches our innermost being, and knows what to pray for. And so even as we approach God, we might ask for the wrong thing, but the Spirit knows what to ask for. The Spirit knows where to go. And so in our weakness, in our spot where, like, we're looking and there are chariots out there or a rooster running around the yard and we're thinking, what am I going to do today? How am I going to get through this? We back up and we say, you know what, God's got this. That doesn't mean you're going to beat every problem, right? Because the fact of the matter is, Paul wrote this, and he wrote this several years before the Romans cut his head off, right? This is not a promise that everything will be hunky-dory. Sometimes the rooster's going to eat you. Everybody with me? Um, But death will not take you. Ultimately, our physical bodies will die, but we'll reside with God. We'll be glorified. We'll be justified. We will be made new and whole in eternity. Um, We may have brokenness. We may have have sickness that wears us down and and leaves us dead, but our souls belong to Christ. Um, And so when we struggle, when we worry, um, we're assured that God is on our team. We're assured that we have deliverance because our king, the king who we're judged by, had victory. Um, he relied on the name of the Lord and he was victorious, like Psalm 20 here, right? Um, so we're going to go on. And we know, all, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. By the way, this is the most misquoted passage in scripture. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. It does not say everything works out for good, Right? That is a lie. Lots of things don't work out for good. There are evil people in the world who do evil things that result in evil consequences. What it says is, God works through all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That means that I may struggle. I can look back on like the most screwed up parts of my life. Times when I was, I was you know, trying to drink myself to death. Times when I was... I was lost as I could be. Times when, you know, I was sick through and through. And I can say, I didn't like that stuff, but God took it and God used it and he glorifies himself with that now. And he saved me because my king shot that rooster. Because my savior saved me from it. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of God of his son, that he might be the firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So what he's saying here is a big complicated stuff. He's saying, listen, if you are his person, there is this pathway laid out before you. You all with me? His spirit is in you. This pathway is there. And this pathway that is there is like sanctification and glorification, right? It's, it's, like, um, it's like playing a video game and knowing the outcome before you start, right? Like you, you ain't going to lose. Um, I am destined to become like Christ. Because I'm good? Nope. Because I deserve it? Nope. Because I work hard? I do work hard, but nope. Um, but because Christ did work on my behalf, And I am just in the process of being remade. And when there are times I don't know what to pray, half the time I don't know what to pray because my own sinful self, the desires of my heart are chasing after things I don't need. And instead, Christ's heart in me, this thing I'm being conformed to be like, is what the Spirit looks at. He looks at me and says, well, how do we make these things match? And he changes me and he adjusts me and he transforms me. 
and he makes me into what I'm supposed to be. By the way, that is not fun. Anybody ever change, grow, do any of that stuff? It hurts, right? Oftentimes it requires we go through difficulty. This is the last little bit. I'm going to power through this because there's some cool lines in here and you got to read them when you get to it. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? How does that not fit with Psalm 20, right? God's on my team. No one's going to stand up against me. If dad's on the porch with a shotgun, the rooster's pretty much in trouble. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall troubles or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, and I got this italicized here. You probably can't see it because it's such small print. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What do we do with this last little bit here? Um, Psalm 20 is all about military victory. Um, Romans 8, 31 to 39 is all about victory, isn't it? Because Christ won a victory on our behalf. Because God sent his son to die for us. Because he judges us based on the heart of Christ in us. We are assured eternity with him. We are assured that we cannot outrun his love for us. We are assured that we cannot outrun his forgiveness. We can't out his grace. We cannot like screw up big enough that God says, you know what, I'm not taking you back. Like, God so loved us that he sent his son to die for us. My challenge for you and my encouragement, I don't have a grow this week, guys. I'm sorry. I, I rewrote this sermon this morning. I had a whole plan laid out, and I was like, you know, I totally missed the point here. When I sat down and I prayed about it this morning, I realized, wow, this is the bigger message here. Um, and I thought about roosters. Um, what do we do with this? First off, we look at the things in our lives that drag us, that tell us you are a failure, you are rejected, you are all of these things. And you can back up and say, those are all true, but Christ died for me. Those are all true, but God loved me so much that he sent Christ to save me. That Christ, his work was so perfect that he blasted that rooster into a million little pieces and there ain't even hardly feathers left. And all of this self-condemnation and all of this self-reproach and all of these struggles with sin, it's like struggling with a dead body because it's all gone. We're assured this victory. Will that make it easy? No. But we can return to that promise. When we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, we can return to that promise. And my challenge to you is to look at your life and say, where am I giving up? Where am I not trusting God? Where am I not believing that he can work in this? By the way, it doesn't mean you're going to win. You might lose and God will work through it. 
some of the worst losses I've had in my life, I can look back years and years later and say, man, I'm glad God made it work that way. Just am. But we have to belong to him, right? Let my king win the victory. We're going to close in prayer and I'll let you go. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, some of us with heavy hearts, some of us with worries, some of us with sin that has just beaten the tar out of us day in and day out. And I, I ask you that this morning as we're praying that folks would come to you and, and, and before you lay down and say, Lord, I want you to, want you to be in control. Um, help those of us who have never committed ourselves to following Christ, to belonging him, to him. Like, help us to decide this is the day I belong to Jesus. This is the day Christ is my king who, who won this victory on my behalf. Help those of us who are full of, of brokenness right now realize that we're more than conquerors today that we're victorious in Christ, that we can strut around like, like 10-year-old boys you know, and suddenly be you know, the rooster in the yard because God killed the real enemy. Thank you so much for the blessing that you give us in Jesus. Thank you so much for what you give us. And Lord God, as we struggle to forgive, as we struggle to be graceful, as we struggle to let go of the past, as we struggle to, to, to cleanse bitterness from our hearts, as we struggle to be made new, I pray that you wouldn't move in a mighty way in your spirit this morning with folks and in this coming week with folks and in the years to come, Lord. I know that some people are blessed with instantaneous new life and some people you, you can form them slowly to be like Christ over the course of years and years. Help us to trust that that's your job. That everybody in this room is your child, not ours. Help us to trust that nothing can separate them or us or, or you know, even the lost sheep that are still out there who, who you're sending us to get, Lord. None of them can be separated from you. In Christ's name, amen. Have a good Sunday, folks.